0: Hi, my name is Sarah. The Old Testament reading today is found in Micah, chapter six, verses six through eight. What can I bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Nora. The New Testament reading is found in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross. The Word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Diana. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Here, Jesus' invitation. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing while we pray. Lord, my prayer is very simple this morning. That your Holy Spirit would descend upon this place. That you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our very lives to the work that you want to do in us. Thank you for being present with us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you for the very warm welcome. Um, And I will say it's just pure joy to uh, be able to preach and bring God's word and to use gifts, as Glenn said. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'm wondering if you all ever, uh, as you're driving around town here in Colorado Springs or maybe in another part of the country, you see those signs. They're um, church marquees. And typically they're maybe close to the road and um, white background, black letters. It might list like the worship times, but then it'll have like a quote or a statement or a phrase or something like this. Um, And it causes you to maybe pause or stop or consider like, oh, I wonder what that means. Or uh, I wonder what that statement has to do with my life. Okay. Here's a couple examples. Let's read these together. First one. Jesus rose from the dead. You can't even get out of bed. Well, now, I know that this doesn't apply to all of you here in Palmer High School, but maybe our friends online? Hi. Hi. I see you. All right. Well, how about this one? Second one. God has a big eraser. Okay. So I'm picturing a cosmic-sized eraser, kind of like erasing our wrongs as we go about life, maybe. All right. Let's look at this one. Sin is like a credit card. Enjoy now, pay later. (laughs) I wonder if these signs are actually presenting a misunderstanding of grace. I wonder if as we drive by and we read phrases like this, more than just cracking a smile, are they kind of influencing our perceptions of grace? Do you ever wonder If God is angry at you, and if he is kind of like wagging this gargantuan pointer finger down at you and saying, you didn't get out of bed for church, or you're not measuring up to my standards, or maybe the perception is that you think God has this cosmic-sized eraser, and he's kind of following you wherever you go, and it's no big deal. It's all good. Whatever you do, his little eraser will follow behind you and erase all those sins, The question that I want to pose for us today as we begin is, if at any point in your life have you had a misunderstanding of grace, what would you say your distortion of grace is or has been in your life? Well, the passage today that we're looking at in the second chapter of Colossians addresses some distortions that were influencing the young church in the city of Colossae. So here's a little context. Paul is writing to the Colossians. And the text tells us that he is concerned about the Colossians and about um, a nearby church in the city of Laodicea. The first verse of chapter 2 says this. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. Paul is agonizing over... Um, the, this church and the influences that they, the attacks that they are coming under. So picture this, he's sitting in prison and he has heard from a good friend named Epaphras. Now Epaphras probably was involved in the launch or the start, the plant of the church in Colossae. And so he's heard from Epaphras that the faith of the Colossians is being tested and challenged. So he writes this letter to encourage them in the faith and to exhort them to stand strong in the faith that they have known in the face of adversity and challenge. Now, here's the shape of that adversity and the shape of those challenges that they were facing. People from outside of the church and possibly even from within the church were making a claim that fulfillment could be found outside of Jesus Christ. They're making the claim that spiritual fulfillment could be found outside of Jesus Christ. And his teachings and his work on the cross was not sufficient for salvation. So the Colossians were exposed to some false teachings. And these were likely additions to Christ. Okay, look at what Paul says in verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And then again in verse 8, he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Now, most commentators agree that this, these fine-sounding arguments and these hollow and deceptive philosophies were likely these additions to the gospel, and they somehow polluted the good news. Think of it like a melting pot of theology and philosophy and mysticism and cultism all kind of swirling together and attacking the Colossian church. We might say that the Colossian church was exposed to a gospel message that had been distorted and twisted. And so Paul wants to build them up in the faith. So he gives them instructions for uh, identifying a counterfeit gospel, instructions on how to identify a counterfeit gospel. They needed to discern between the true gospel and the false gospel and continue to live their lives rooted in the true gospel. Now, I don't think that it's too much of a a leap to say that New Life Downtown and the Colossian Church probably have a few things in common, despite the fact that 2,000 years of history separates us. I think sometimes we are exposed to these hollow and deceptive philosophies. And specifically, there is one truth that is brought into question today perhaps in the same way that it was brought into question for the Colossian church. And it is this truth. Everything we need is from Christ and in Christ. Now, friends, this is foundational to our faith, right? Everything we need is in Christ. Everything we need is from Christ. But I think that there are additions and subtractions to this belief. Now, they can be really subtle, but they keep us from experiencing Fullness and freedom in Christ. Remember those church marquee signs? I mean, maybe we just smile as we drive by, honk a horn, something like that. But I wonder if more than just showing up on church marquee signs, they're showing up in the conversations with our children. They're showing up in the ways that we pray in the ways that we think about ourselves, and the ways that we understand our identity in Christ. I wonder if they influence us more than we are even aware of. What if we accept a counterfeit gospel that flows from a misunderstanding of grace? I think, in general, we might be able to understand the kind of ways that grace is distorted by putting them into two different camps. And you all are going to be my physical representation. So right down the middle, we've got two camps. The camp first of license. Okay, license says, I decide what is right and wrong for myself. I decide what is right and wrong for myself. So this leads us to believe that we can do anything we want and still receive grace. So we might say things like, well, I'm only human. Or... Nobody's perfect, so why even try? Or we picture that kind of cosmic-sized eraser going around and uh, erasing all of our sins or all of our wrongs. So grace is distorted into a license to sin and do whatever I want for myself. You may be familiar with a somewhat new adventure sport called base jumping, okay? So base jumping, in essence, is you put a parachute on your back and you step off a ledge, okay? Now, you will never, ever, 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 ever ever see me do this, but for those of us that trust base jumping, you put the parachute on your back, you step off a ledge. I wonder if this idea of license, the camp of license, is where we believe, okay, Grace is going to just go ahead and catch me. So I can do whatever I want. I can recklessly kind of step off the ledge into a life of sin and making my own decisions because I know that that parachute is going to catch me. Grace will be there to catch me. I wonder if sometimes that's how we view that camp of license. Okay, on the other side, we've got the camp of legalism. And legalism says simply, I do what is right according to God's commands. I am doing the right thing that God commands. So this leads us to believe that we have to strive and we have to work for grace. We have to earn it. So we might say things like, I am going to be good enough to earn God's grace. I'm going to measure up to his standards, or I'm going to keep the rules. Because if I keep the rules, God will love me. Okay? God is this harsh judge who places unreasonable standards on us, and then he condemns us when we can't keep them. And so grace is kind of distorted into a works-based righteousness, and salvation is earned by keeping standards and by keeping the rules. There's another adventure sport that is a little more local here in the Colorado Springs area. It's the Manitou Springs Incline. Anyone? Okay. Yeah, I don't do base jumping, but I do the incline. I remember the first time that I did the Manitou Springs incline. Um, basically, I call this like a Stairmaster on steroids because you're standing at the bottom of the incline and you look up and it's about one mile of steps, an old cog railway and there's no road ties and you basically just trudge uphill for a mile, it's blood, sweat and tears. Okay, so I'm at the bottom of the incline looking up and I see the summit and I think, I got this. Okay, no big deal. So I start climbing, and I'm trudging, and I'm working hard. And I get to what I thought was the top. Now, you, know, you all know, who have, you, those of you who have done this, you know what I'm talking about. I get to the top. No, 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 no. This isn't the top. This is what's called the false summit. And I come to find out, as I look beyond, I'm peering up a little bit further, there are more steps. Not only are there more steps, there are 1,000 more steps that I have to do to get to the top. And I come to find out, I'm talking to somebody there at what's now called the bailout point, and they're like, oh yeah, no, this isn't the top. That's the top, and you have to keep going. You know what I said? Who moved the finish line? You mean to tell me that I have to keep climbing, working hard, spending my calories to get to the top of the incline? I wonder if when we are in the camp of legalism, we are asking the same question. Yeah, Who moved to the finish line? Right. Why do I have to keep trudging, working, earning God's favor and earning his love? Sometimes it's literally blood, sweat and tears to get to the top. We feel like we have to keep climbing I think when we're in one of these camps, we tend to overemphasize what is an important aspect of the gospel. Because in the license camp, we might say, yes, grace abounds. Yes, God forgives us our sins. It's true that God's grace covers our sins. And yes, in the legalism camp, we say, God calls us to live holy lives. God calls us to live obedient to his commands. But here's the thing, the giving of God's grace does not lessen God's expectation that we live holy lives. And then there are no conditions that need to be met and no standards that need to be kept in order to earn God's grace. And friends, I think when we identify what camp we are in, we might say, I got to fix this. And I don't know if you're sitting here today and you're like, yep, Amber, I'm over here. Amber, I'm over here. It was a beautiful thing to be able to talk to people in between the services, and they were like, my whole life I've lived in the legalism camp, or right now I'm in the license camp. I think what we tend to do when we identify what camp we're in is we say, I got to fix this. And so the pendulum starts swinging from side to side. And what this looks like is, if we're over in the license camp, it's like, okay, I need to curb those sinful tendencies and start adhering to the rules that God has laid out for me. Or if we're in the legalism camp, the pendulum swings over here and we think, I need to pepper my life with a little sin. I need to mix things up. I need to loosen it up a little bit, right? Here's the thing. It does no good to leave one error for the other. And there is not some sort of mysterious, like, midpoint or middle line that I am trying to paint a picture for you. That's not the end goal. I think this distortion of grace has been common for churches throughout history. Not only the Colossian church and not only present day. It has been true for churches throughout history, for the church Throughout history, the ancient church father Tertullian once said this just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel is ever crucified between these two errors. I think just like the Colossians were exposed to some hollow and deceptive philosophies that were polluting the church, I wonder if we too are exposed to some hollow and deceptive philosophies in these distortions of grace. It's true that we all know on some level that Christ is meant to be our hope, our everything, our all in all, um, our purpose, our goal. And yet that statement, Christ is everything, and everything comes from Christ, that is called into question. We tend to add or reduce the gospel to fit our preferences, and none of which ultimately does justice to the message of grace that is found in Christ. Some of us, I think, are operating under these distortions of grace. Some of us are knee-deep in one of these camps. And it might feel like you're stuck, and you don't know where to go, and you don't know what to do. I do very distinctly remember uh, the season of my life where I was in the license camp. I was knee-deep in the license camp. I studied abroad for about six months my junior year of college in Barcelona, Spain. And I remember uh, very distinctly making some decisions that ended up being very painful for myself and others. I was operating under this uh, distortion of grace because I thought, you know what? I left God on the other side of the ocean. I'm going to go ahead and do whatever I want, and then maybe later I will return to him, and his grace will be there. That was the kind of distorted place, the distortion of grace that I was operating under. You might say that I got an A plus in experience, and something like live in La Vida Loca, but I got the worst grades of my life. I remember just feeling like I am so knee deep in this. My, my perception of grace is so distorted, but I'm gonna keep doing and making the decisions that I want to do. I'm gonna keep operating out of this because I was in charge. I wanted what I wanted. Maybe your story is similar in the licensed camp. Or maybe the pendulum is swung over to the other side and you feel like you have to be the good girl or the good boy and you have to be good enough to earn God's grace and to earn God's love. And so you keep climbing and striving and working, maybe even brown-nosing God in order to earn his love. I think we have to reveal how these are distorted views of grace. We have to reveal them for what they are and how they lead us to a counterfeit gospel. Ultimately, these distorted views of grace kind of point to a root issue. They point to spiritual problems that need to be addressed. And I think the root of these problems oftentimes stem from various things. But the common denominator has to do with our independence. I think we don't like to think that we need wisdom and correction daily. And so what we'll do is kind of wink at sin in the license camp. Or we like having control over our lives. We like having power over other people. And so we'll scold ourselves and we'll scold other people for not keeping the rules and not measuring up to the standards. And ultimately, beneath both of these is this belief that we can do it on our own. We can do it on our own. And so grace is distorted by the myth of independence. Grace is distorted by the myth of independence. And friends, these are hollow and deceptive philosophies because they allow us to live independent of Christ, independent of his work that has been done for us. And we ultimately avoid the heart transformation that only Christ can bring about. We might actually say that license and legalism are just different strategies for self salvation. Self so salvation, which is built on human effort. License and legalism might be just different ways of us saying, I'm gonna go ahead and save myself. Yeah. I can save myself. Or an attempt to save ourselves because remember license says i decide what is right and wrong and legalism says i keep the right I keep the commands that god gives i do the right things that god commands but friends i think that until we get grace right we can't get the gospel right until we get grace right we can't get the gospel right. And if we continue to believe in this counterfeit gospel, we will remain bound up. We will not know freedom. We will remain enslaved to this counterfeit gospel. So what we need is to hear afresh the dynamic of the cross for our freedom, the dynamic of the cross for our liberation. I wonder if straightening out our understanding of grace first means recognizing that something needs to be done for us and that the gospel is good news. It's good news about something that has been done for us, not something that we have done for ourselves. You might remember last year, Time Magazine did a 30-year anniversary report on the story of baby Jessica. So in 1987, in Midland, Texas, there was an 18-month-old toddler who fell into a well and landed 22 feet beneath the surface. And so this major rescue operation rolled out, where for three days around the clock, there were rescue workers and mining experts and volunteers who were attempting to pull this 18-year-old from the well. By the time baby Jessica was actually rescued... Camera crews had descended upon West Texas, and it was like a major news story. And so literally, the rescue of this 18-year-old toddler was broadcasted... 18-year-old? You got me. 18-month-old toddler. (laughs) I have a one-year-old, so I know. (laughs) Um, He's not toddling yet, but he'll get there. The rescue of this small baby was carried out on live television, And so it was as if all of America saw this toddler in the arms of a paramedic, right? Broken, bandaged, bruised. And you could hear like the collective sigh of rescue, that she was pulled from the grip of death, that she was pulled from the pit. Death no longer had the final word. It was as if we said, yes, amen, tears of joy, she was pulled from the well. I wonder if like baby Jessica, we are helpless. We are at the bottom of the pit. We are in the bottom of the well and we cannot simply do anything to get ourselves out of it. We need a rescue. We can't oomph our way out of it. We can't charm our way out of it. We can't work our way out of it. We need someone to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. We need to hear the good news that we have been rescued, we have been saved, we have been redeemed. We have been released from the grip of death and pulled from the pit. And God has accomplished salvation for us through Christ in order to bring us into right relationship with him and eventually to... Cover all of the effects of sin in the world. Look at what Paul says to the Colossians in verse 13. This is the good news, friends. He said, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. This is good news. This is the gospel. We were dead, but Christ made us alive. But do you see where we have fallen for the counterfeit gospel? It's sneaky. It's tricky. We were dead because of our sins, but we still make attempts at self-salvation. We still have strategies for self-salvation. It's nonsensical, but we still go for it, right? Picture this. You're dead. Try to make yourself alive. You can't do it. You're dead. Try to resurrect yourself. You can't do it. Legalism says, I'm doing the thing that God commands. And license says, I am doing what is right and wrong for myself. I think, friends, when we live out of these paradigms of grace, we are essentially saying, I can save myself. I can be my own savior. I'm aware and sometimes painfully aware that there are a lot of really good church-going people who hear the gospel, who sing songs about freedom in Christ, sing songs about the cross, sing songs about grace capturing us and gaining a new perspective on grace, and yet we still remain bound up and enslaved because we're falling into one of these camps And we're ultimately being duped by the counterfeit gospel. I think the broader culture has convinced us that maybe just a little theological tweaking or a little more church-going will get us to a better place. But friends, hear this. Believing in Christ, even church-going, does not equal freedom in Christ. Believing in Christ does not equal freedom in Christ. When we're convinced that just a little tweaking or more church going will get us to a better place or maybe make us a little nicer, I think we miss out. We forget what the goal of the Christian faith is. Because the goal of the Christian faith is not to make you just a little bit nicer, the goal of the Christian faith is freedom in Christ. And the only place to go for that is to the feet of Jesus on the cross. I wonder if this distortion of grace leads us to think that Jesus came to make bad people nice. But friends, no. True grace and the true gospel, Jesus came to make dead people alive. He came to make dead people alive. We are not to be fixed up, but awakened. Not patched together, but resurrected. Not repaired. We are to be made new. Recreated. So freedom in Christ comes not by just believing rightly, but by receiving fully what God has done on our behalf. And we enter into life-giving relationship with him. When we receive what Christ has done for us, when we lay down our need to do it ourselves, we can live in a new way. We can live in new life with Christ. I love that New Life Church has that image in its actual name. You're invited into new life with Christ. So friends, if you are sitting here and you're feeling like true grace may have just gotten a hold of you, Tired of sitting knee deep in legalism or license. This sounds really delicious. The true gospel. You are hungry for more of Christ. It might be the Holy Spirit prompting you to faith, to take that first step of faith. Or maybe you want to step directly out of that legalism that you've been under the weight of it for way too long. We invite you to respond in faith to that. It's really simple. We we want to do this with you. We want to journey with you. What if we could be the church? Joining hands and saying, yes, this is the true gospel. And this is true grace in your life. Let's lead one another towards freedom in Christ. We're going to have the opportunity to come to the table and take the elements participate in communion this is a representation of Jesus saying come to me as you are and after the service we'll have an opportunity if you want to pray with somebody if you have questions you're like I'm stuck or my pendulum is swinging and I can't seem to get out of it and you know freedom freedom in Christ is where you want to land let us journey there with you So Glenn, would you lead us in communion today?